0: i'm nick law and you're listening to the hop forward podcast getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business hop forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry featuring interviews discussions and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass so grab yourself a glass pour yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business gonna be a different version of the intro just in case all that was shit. so welcome to the whole podcast i'm sat in the beer garden at the raven inn in sheffield which is one of my favorite pubs it's the first time i've been here since november 2019 wow gosh is it that long crazy times i've been rasping to come here for a beer for ages and lo and behold, I'm I'm here now, sat in the beer garden drinking a pint of Cass beer from Loxley Brewery, who a brewery that I both work with and love very dearly. Great, great brewery in Sheffield, um, with two outstanding pubs, um, the Wisewood Inn and the Raven Inn, and drinking a pint of Gunson, which is their very, very tasty IPA. And, I mean, the condition on this is just brilliant. Dave, if you're listening, do you listen to my podcast, Dave? I don't know. You should do. I feel like you should do. But if you're listening, Dave, great beer, mate. Really, really solid beer. So, yeah, um, on the show this week, I caught up with Kevin Freer, who's the brewer from Block 3 Brewing in Ontario, Canada. Now, this is a while back, so our little discussion about lockdown is kind of, I don't want to say null and void, <laughs> Um, but it's it maybe may slightly out of date I don't know how open and free Canada is now on the whole lockdown front um, but anyway uh, that we don't talk that much about that because actually what we're talking about is sour beers and fruited beers and barrel aging and cool ships and fooders and all that kind of stuff and you know I, I've um, I started getting into those kind of beers a lot more recently I, I used to go to bottle shares in sheffield beer central bottle shares and um i'd, I'd rock up with like a uh, you know a nice german lager or something and most people turn up turn with a lambic or some other kind of sour beer and um some of them just taste like barnyard and goat you know like kind of like you're licking a cow and do people do that like lick cows is that a thing bet there's an Instagram for it. I'm betting people are looking at me in the beer garden. <laughs> um, and it was only throughout lockdown that I started getting into uh, sour beers more. Um, the first ones that I really was like, wait a minute, these are great, were from London Beer Factory. Um, you know, their barrel-aged projects. is just amazing. And they do some absolutely fantastic wild beers. And then the other epiphany I had was with um, Boone and their Goozers. And I, I owe that to my good friend, Linda from Brewery Market um, for introducing me to those and invited me along to a, a tasting. Um, my beer is arriving, so. so you. gone through? Yeah, yeah. Nice one. Cheers, love, thank you. Look at this. So this is Black Dog, which is Loxley Brewery's Milk Stout. And it is a I've had this before in bottle, it's an so amazing beer. In fact I had it before in cask actually, uh, the first time they did it. In fact this was probably the last beer I had in this pub. It's kind of like it's gone full circle, hasn't it? So I'm gonna try this. Oh Dave, if you're listening Firstly you should subscribe to the podcast and listen. <laughs> but secondly, that's a great beer. That's really really nice. Very crisp and refreshing as well for a stout keg snout on a very warm friday afternoon um yes so uh, boone and the lambics and that was a real like epiphany eye-opening moment of how good wild beers could be but having said that you know there would be some great beers i've had since um st miles of the desert in sheffield which is one of my favorite breweries um they do fruited stingo is that what it's called again i, I don't know if Dan and Martha you listen to the podcast, but if you do, that was um when I came recently and had the raspberry I think it was raspberry fooder soured beer. That was very, very crisp and tart and refreshing. Just just what you want out of something like that. And um yeah, you know, so um, I was really interested in talking to Kevin um about his souring and his barrel aging and and using fruits and um unfortunately obviously you know can't can't taste their beers through the magic of the internet so i had to um had to crack open a beer i had to crack open a beer okay um from someone else just to kind of as as a as a stopgap. and unfortunately kevin if you're listening i would have loved to have shared it with you it was great beer but lo and behold I, i took the bullet mate and drank it on your behalf so there we are um, got some more episodes coming up um, got some great episodes coming up we've got a brewery called Bishop Nick next week um, on the show which is a great conversation which is obviously, you know, with the whole Emmanuel's thing is a, a brewery very close to my heart um, but some breweries some really good beers you know, and I'm organising a discussion, a bit of a round table with uh, Charlotte Cook from Cloudwater and she on Hewison, aka British Beer Girl who's being at the centre of the social media storm surrounding sexism and the uh, and the exposing of toxic work cultures and bullying and harassment, um, so I, I'm going to give the floor to those guys to basically share their experiences. Uh, got Andy from Elusive Brewing on. I've, you know, I've never had any of their beers, but um, everybody's talking about Oregon Trail. Is that what it's called? I feel that's what it's called. So, re- really looking forward to that. And other guests that I'm working on getting on the show um, from both here in the UK and uh, across the Atlantic um, and, be- and beyond, even maybe even into intergalactic outer space—you know, the first Martian brewery or something. So, anyway, having said all that, um, thanks for tuning into the show. Um, I would really appreciate, actually, if you if you like the Hot Four podcast, and I know there's a lot of listeners out there, if you could go on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen and give it a little review that'll help people find the show and help boost the algorithms and all that stuff. And I'd also love to know um, if there's any breweries or guests you wanna hear on the show, any topics to do with brewing or business or branding, marketing or sales, or anything to do with the supply chain from grain to glass. I would absolutely love to hear from you with your suggestions, or maybe hook me up with somebody you think would be a really good guest on the show. You can send an email to nick at hopforward.beer and so uh, that's it i'm going to finish my beer and then go get my kids from school so um, whilst i do that why don't you listen to all the necessary blurb if you like the hot four podcast then follow us on all the socials at hot forward beers subscribe to the show and leave us a review on itunes and spotify and all of the good podcasting platforms. And visit our website hotforward.beer to connect with us and find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business with branding and creative media for breweries, bars, bottle shops and supply chain businesses. The Hot Fall podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Crisp Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ribra in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley-growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25kg sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plants, the only one of its kind in the UK, Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at crispmalt.com That's crispmalt.com For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. Today on the Hot Forward Podcast, I'm joined by Kevin Freer from Block 3 Brewing all the way in Ontario. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Ontario, Canada. Wow. So how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Uh, Yeah, just, you know, it's just past 3.30 here. So I'm off work a little bit early today. It's nice. Ah, happy days. Happy days. So what time did you start today? Uh, Eight o'clock. Right. Yeah. Is that normal time for
1: a brewing shift for you? Uh, Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're a pretty small team. There's only three of us. So we're brewing and packaging today and kind of just doing some stuff. So I like to get done the most of the brewing before we open. Got yeah. eleven, you know, just kind of get all that out of the way. Right.
0: Okay. So, just out of interest, how many craft breweries are in Canada? Because I got into brewing years ago by watching a white-haired Canadian called Craig with a, a YouTube channel called Craig Tube. Oh yeah, yeah, like, actually, you, yeah, he, you know, Craig Tube, right? Yeah, yeah. He's
1: <laughs> he's from the. Uh, so I I got into home brewing as well um, years ago. This is like ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was actually uh, from the city that I lived in. No way. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean how many breweries are in Canada? There's probably I'm going to guess 2000. Right. Um it's a big country so like the stuff on the west coast doesn't really make it to my province and and likewise like Ontario has probably about 15 million people and we've we're probably hovering around 450 to 500
0: breweries. Right. Yeah, man, craque tube, yeah, goodness. I wonder how many people owe their brewing journey to Craig. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I wonder if he's still going, to be honest. Like, I yeah, no, I him. think he
0: is. I, I looked him up the other day because I was, I was telling my kids about, um, you know, I was like in the 21st century, if you want to know anything, you go on YouTube, you know, and then I, I, I started talking about my brewing journey and I was like, you know, I learned to brew by this guy called Craig with a YouTube channel called Craig Tube, And they were like, hang on, wait, dad, Craig tube i was like don't knock it until you watched it and I, I looked it up yeah and he's still going still nice. souping up his homebrew kits. so good on him if, if you're listening craig yeah cheers i think that's what he says isn't it mm, cheers yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah cool so for, for our listeners um why don't you tell us a little bit about your brewing journey how you got into the industry and about block free brewing uh yeah sure so um i guess i'll
1: start like i was homebrewing i was a musician prior to being a brewer uh that's what I went to college for I studied jazz you know did that and then I was kind of just like looking for a day job and this is back in 2010 where you could just walk into a brewery and kind of get a day job right <laughs> you know I I figured like if I'm going to do something it might as well be with beer and then I just I fell in love with the industry so like day one didn't even know what a clamp or a gasket was I knew nothing and then have pretty much done every job over the last 10 years yep. uh, that you could ever think of And uh, just learned a lot on the way. So now I'm the head brewer at Block 3 Brewing. Uh, I've been there just shy of five years now. Um, They've been open for seven. A friend of mine started the brewery in 2013. And me and him had worked together previously at a much larger brewery. So he kept kind of trying to get me to come on um, as like an employee and like the timing just didn't work or whatever, whatever was happening. And then finally, they like finally broke me down and I kind of took over his position as the head brewer just to run the day-to-day and he just, you know, stepped back to be a silent partner.
0: Right. Okay. So having worked in a larger brewery when you went into the smaller brewery, I, I presume did you find that easier in lots of ways because I, I could totally relate what I said about the, the clamp and the gasket and stuff. I know when I first... Um, went into a, a large brewery and all, all of a sudden you're kind of confronted by all these fittings and stuff. I was like, what the hell's this? You know, and especially if you need to buy something new and you haven't got anyone else to ask. I'm like, I need a new one of these, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh, it's just, in, you know, butterfly valve, right? Julian, right, next yeah. time. <laughs>
1: yeah. the, the large brewery was nice in that, like I didn't really have to think about any of that stuff. I could just say like, hey, this thing's broken. And then it was someone else's job to fix it. Like, right. I was just kind of like an operator. Um, but it was a 24 seven brewing operation. Um, they weren't 24 seven packaging at the time, Mm. but so I, would be brewing at, you know, 8 30 PM on a Friday and I text my boss, you know, he's hammered at like a hockey game or something. Like, you (laughs) know, I can't really, you're on your own. So you learn to problem solve and you learn to like, um, budget your time effectively. Mm. You know, we always said like a 15 minute delay per brew there made up like one or two brews at the end of the week which on that scale was you know tens of thousands of dollars right yeah so, yeah um you really learned to hustle yeah whereas now it's like a little more slower paced and like i'm i'm the boss so ultimately it comes down to me and you know if it means i have to stay late an extra hour just to deal with
0: something i forgot to fix earlier in the week then that's it that's a mm-hmm. gig right so block, block three brewing like what, what size are you how many fermenters have you got and um, you were saying about a tap room as well. Yes. So we we started off um, as
1: a 10-barrel brewery, uh, which is around 12 hectoliters, uh, and three 10-barrel fermenters. And we have a tap room that can, I think it's rated for 70 people inside. Uh, so it's a, it's a sizable portion of the business having the tap room there. Mm. And then now we've grown, we have five 10-barrels and five 20-barrels, as well as um, an oak fooder and like 100 barrels, like oak barrels, uh, and but the tap room's still there. That's still the main draw. Uh, we sell probably seventy percent of our beer through the tap room or through uh, cans and bottles to go. So that's that's still like the major portion of our of our profit and uh, of our business.
0: Right. So I mean, I'm I'm not up on where other countries are at with COVID and everything, but like what what's the deal? I'm I'm more aware of what's happening in the USA. Um, I mean, it's quite hard not to, not to be with all the turmoil <laughs> that's been there over the last, uh, you know, few years. Um, but like in Canada, like what what's the deal with with things being open or shut or or not? I mean, it sounds like your tap room is very much open. Like, wh- wh- where's Canada at in terms of uh, COVID and stuff and lockdowns and all that? So yeah, it it still depends on provinces. Um, right.
1: Where where we are in Ontario is complete lockdown. I cannot have people drinking in the brewery. I can have them buy cans to go. Right. Um, But we were allowed to do home delivery direct to the customer, like even before this, Mm. which is, which is not the same as some people in the States you know, they have their weird complicated system. So um, we were kind of already positioned to do this and transition to home delivery. And that's the, the customers have really embraced that here. I mean, who wouldn't, right? You're just sitting around in your your pajamas, and you get a box of beer delivered to your house. It's great. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So bars, bars, and restaurants are not open. Um, they can do takeaway, um, and then, you know, I, I alluded in this email that we have kind of a complicated liquor system.
0: Yeah, I want to come on to that. We'll, we'll come on to that. It yeah. sounds interesting. So
1: you can do you can do takeaway now from a bar. You can buy like a six pack right. along with your burger or whatever.
0: Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So, um, well, well, let's talk about the, uh, the LCBO. I mean, for, firstly, for our listeners, um, what is that? And it, can you explain it in full? Because it, it does sound pretty weird. Yeah. Okay. So
1: the AGCO is the, over, the alcohol something or other of, of Ontario, Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario. Right, okay. They oversee all gambling. They oversee all alcohol um their retail arm is called the LCBO which is the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. Yeah. They are the only people that are allowed to have a liquor store. So if you want to go buy a bottle of vodka, you want to buy a bottle of wine, some beers, whatever, you have to buy it from the LCBO. Up until very recently.
0: So is this this is just in your pro- so forgive me for my ignorance of of all things canada but is it is it other the laws dictated by province like like they're on the usa you know, per state or right okay rather than yes, like yes, in, yes i'm in the uk so it's just kind of like we're pretty small and stuff what one set of laws that seem to govern everything yeah um, yeah Each
1: each province has their own sort of version of this governing body
0: Right, I see. Yeah. So, so if if you want to open a a liquor store or as we call them over here in the UK, like an off license, you basically have to buy it from the LCBO. Is that, is that what you're saying?
1: No, you cannot open an off license.
0: Right. So the LCBO is the off license. Effectively, yes. the, yes. the, the, the only off licenses that exist are LCBO. Well, are they? I mean, are they branded in a particular way? Are they like? Yeah, they're they're branded LCBO. Oh, it's literally like what brand yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. so it sounds quite cuban it's almost almost like in cuba but a little bit too far north or something you know it's like wow okay so
1: so so that and then the other thing um was the beer store which is kind of a holdover from like around the prohibition area like the turn of the century where the big brewers like molson Molson and Labatt are the two huge macro breweries here yeah kind of banded together and you know use their weight to have their own
0: stores surprise surprise
1: yeah (laughs) why that's allowed i'm not sure mm. but (laughs) so you can buy from the lcbo you can buy from the direct from the brewery which is great because we get the most margin there or you can buy from the beer store the beer store will list anything but you have to pay them whereas the lcbo picks and chooses what they list so you kind of have to apply so you get these weird scenarios where you're like we want to send in our bourbon barrel aged imperial stout but it just went into barrels and i need a sample for them so how do you get around that cuz you're applying 6 or 9 months out yeah oh my word it's That's- it's interesting and and like it's been loosening a little bit we now just um like maybe a year or two ago we could buy beer from a grocery store or like a a walmart or whatever and then like i said the bars just recently got the ability to sell a beer package to go which a lot of them are using to set up as like a um, quasi-bottle shop. Right. It's from a bar. So like yeah. even bars yeah.
0: couldn't sell beer to go. So you could drink in a bar, but if you're like, oh, I really fancy taking a beer away, no.
1: No, absolutely. Like that concept is so foreign to me. I actually still have not purchased
0: alcohol from a bar to go. Right. Wow, goodness. And like I
1: own a bar. Like, I- <laughs> right, yeah, yeah.
0: So, and then gro- like grocery stores then. So that you couldn't buy beer from a grocery store either? No, 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 no. Not until like I think it was two years ago.
1: Uh so beer and wine, but they they're still purchased uh through the LCBO just to sell there. It's 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 a weird thing.
0: Right, I see. So if you went in a grocery store, you could you could buy beer, but it would come via the LCBO to that grocery store. That were they buying it in like wholesale or 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 literally grocery stores didn't stock beer. So uh, I'm just gro- trying to get my head around it. It feels so I know, so it's, it's, it's <laughs> so crazy,
1: right? Um, Yeah, no, grocery stores, they would buy direct from the brewery, Um, but you had to have like the LCBO listing to go through their like lab right, testing.
0: Right, I see. Yeah. My word, that's insane.
1: Yeah, and you get these weird scenarios where we'll, we'll say they'll bring in, you know, Canteon or whatever. Well, they don't bring in Canteon, but they'll bring in some, you know, a Lambic or like a Belgian beer and then they'll do their own lab testing and say, oh no, the ABV is higher than what you put on the label. You need to re-sticker it with this, you know, marking. You need to have, you know, the English and the French for, for strong beer because, you know, you're in a dual language country now. And like, yeah, actually I have, I have one literally right here. I can reach, uh, I don't know if you can see this well, but like they had to re-sticker this to say beer and it's, it, yeah, it's, it's wild, but it's the only system I know. So it seems normal to me.
0: Like, Yeah. Gosh, that's nuts. I I remember years ago um, having a a trading standard officer um, here in the UK come around to our brewery and um, he was talking about sour beers and he was like, oh, I'm seeing all these beers and bottle shops and off licenses that are called like a fruited sour. It's like, you can't call it a sour because sour is a flavor. It's a quality you know it's a flavor description it's not a it's not a style of product it has to be sour beer you know and um i just remember thinking like how anal can you get
1: <laughs> yeah there's there's all sorts of uh, funny versions of that like um boston lager right uh from sam, or sam adams mm. boston lager right for a while in texas anything of a certain abv was just called an ale so it's a sam adams boston lager ale in texas <sighs>
0: like what a dumb rule right? yeah it, it, you know it's kind of it's like idiots are in an asylum isn't it mm. um so i mean I'd, I'd love to talk about um you know you souring your photos and you, you're Oak barrels and stuff but um in the absence of having any beer of yours to try i'm gonna i'm gonna crack open a beer i, I, I very I aptly really chose this uh mixed fermentation um yuzu fruited sour so that's obviously not going to get um through trading standards <laughs> because it's not a sour beer um have you, okay. ever, have you ever brewed with yuzu before i've done a couple pilot badges yeah it's uh it's pretty pricey so we didn't really Pursue that, <laughs> fair enough so th- this is from uh three three hills brewing in the uk at uh, Northamptonshire, i think so i uh, just want to say massive thanks to them for sending me this so I'm, I'm sorry i can't like digitally pour it through my computer for you to try as well so it's go- it's going to be a very very one-sided beer beer tasting um but what while I, I mean while i crack this open can you can you tell me some of, a, about your souring and barrel aging projects and how you got into that and and how that's going at the moment and what you what you've got in barrels yeah.
1: Um, so we kind of look at it as three different um, sections of, of our sour program. Like, so we have, our, we have a beer called Fickle Mistress. Uh, it's a kettle sour. It's named after our old labeling machine because it just didn't like certain people right. in the brewery. It would never work. <laughs> nice. um, so that, that is like a dry hopped kettle, like pretty straight up kettle sour, dry hopped with citron mosaic. And then we'll do various fruits, fruited versions of that. Right. That's that's a everyone does that kind of thing. And then we'll have um, our oak stuff, which always we can everything else, but the oak stuff with the the PDO and the lacto and the bread and everything that goes into bottles. Yeah. Um, so that can be anything from, you know, like a four or five hour beer to guard. It can be um, just like a golden wort that we mix with some whole fruits. You know that that kind of goes all over the place. Like I said, we have about a hundred barrels, and then we have. Oh, all all wine barrels. I get that question a lot. Very little whiskey barrels. Ah, interesting. Yeah, I'm not a big like I like whiskey. I like bourbon. I just don't really like bourbon barrel-aged beers that right. much. Um,
0: yeah, let's 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 stay on that a minute. I had a beer the other day and um it was a ten point something percent um imperial stout, but it was um barrel aged in red wine barrels. And I, honestly, I like. I was thinking, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today. Why? I don't know why I was thinking about it earlier today, but I tend to think about beer a lot. And I was thinking, you know, I, I really like stouts that are aged in red wine barrels more than bourbon barrels. Don't get me wrong, I love whiskey like bourbon barrel aged stouts, but something about red wine barrels and wine barrels that just give it a different quality. Um, I mean, what what, what exactly? Is happening with the wood for it to pick up that kind of quality um, for these wine um, barrel-aged beers. And are there any beer styles that perhaps don't lend themselves to particular to ex-wine barrels?
1: Especially if they're a fresh wine barrel. Um, we're pretty close to the Niagara region, which is like the big wine growing region uh, in in my province. And so it's pretty easy to get like a freshly emptied barrel and they can be super like super tannic like they take on the wine character very quickly you know you're looking at like three months four months and then you kind of want to get that out so if you have like a lighter beer like you make like a low abv saison kind of thing like Mm. it's just dominated by this barrel character but you get like a strong beer like an imperial stout you know that kind of tannic character will cut through maybe the high finishing gravity of that beer and make it a little more like drinkable and approachable like a little drier
0: yep Nice.
1: Yeah, and then winemakers in general are just kind of um, like they try to say that they're like pure culture fermentation things like that, but they're definitely like got a little mixed thing going on. So that lends itself well to our like sour culture.
0: Yep. So um, when when you're working with fruits, because you mentioned about doing um, like you know um, doing like a golden ale with fruits and stuff like what what sort of things should brewers consider? I mean, I'm I'm partly asking this for myself because I've I've never really done any sour beers. Um, and obviously, I'm, I'm drinking this sour beer at the moment. I d- I've never had a yuzu either, but I'm guessing that's what I can taste. I mean, it is very nice. Um, but like, um, y- you see a lot of stories online of you know exploding cans, gushers, you know, right. uh, and, all, and all, all the rest of it. So, obviously, there's a lot of residual um fruit. Well, I say I've never brewed with fruit, I did a um, a, what was it? It was like a red berry and cherry Baltic Porter. Um, and what I bought, this was several years ago, we went to bottles, bottle conditioned beer. And it was basically the brewery's porter that I, I racked into a um, hundred litre fermenter from my own little kit and um, put in some um, some fruits and bottled it. I mean, it was really good, but I did get a report after several months of somebody saying, Oh, I've just opened this and it went everywhere. <laughs> so obviously it's <laughs> be fermented in the bottle. Um, but because of, there weren't that many of them at the time. Um, yeah, I presume most of them got drunk and I avoided that. But so what well, I mean, what sort of things do you do just to kind of keep keep your fruits in check?
1: Yeah. Okay. So they're using whole fruit, like the, the people who are doing these exploding cans that you see about on all like the beer blogs they're putting few fruit puree into a can unfermented and just canning it and being like you guys keep it cold that's on you what into it just into a can like at the can? Or, or, well they, they'd probably put it into the bright tank and then oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. yeah um so they're they're purposely just adding fruit puree which i mean whatever if you like that great but i don't know why you wouldn't just do that yourself at home i don't know why these are getting ten dollars a can twelve dollars a can mm. whatever but that's a whole other story um
0: but surely you know it's going to re-ferment. Surely, surely you want to make sure oh, yeah. that it's going in your fermenter and then um, or, or in a conditioning tank, and you leave it for a while for it to do its thing before you can it. That's what I do, but I, I well, guess that's, the, that's, uh, <laughs> that's what I'd do, apart from obviously the beer that I just mentioned, but that was you know quite a while back. But like that's what I'd do now. <laughs> like, I'm, yeah, I'm just a bit cop-smart, really. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna
1: knock anyone who does it. I just, if I were to do it, we have a large enough customer base that I would not feel confident that everyone would keep those cold. So yeah, I would only ever serve that in my tap room. Just, I don't want someone can to blow up and like cut their hand or something. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, so what what sort of fruits do you think work well particularly when you um, barrel aging um, a beer? So we'll, we'll use everything. I mean,
1: it depends really on, because of most of ours are sour beers. Mm. It depends on what kind of how that's that mix firm is going and what it's like presenting. This is very much getting into like the art side, not the science side of brewing. So you mean like you might get one that the Brett's like super pineapple-y. So you might either want to play that up or like, what does pineapple mix with? Oh, it mixes with, I don't know, whatever coconut and you, you make, A coconut sour not that i've done that but that does sound pretty good
0: that does sound good yeah (laughs) Um, but
1: like uh whatever availability we can get with local fruit is always good you know like peaches uh peaches plums blueberries like all those are pretty easy to get come harvest time but then because canada is basically a frozen wasteland six months of the year uh we use a lot of purees we order in a lot of purees right just uh so kind of Throw a dart at the board and be like, sure, I'd love to use blackberries. Why not?
0: Yeah. See, I read recently that um, it's if you want to do like a, a, some kind of peach sour or peach beer, you should actually use apricots as well because you get more of a flavor with apricots than just using peaches.
1: Yeah, that's the pro tip right there.
0: Right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, got that right out of uh, Randy Mosher's book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. Not, if it had not said that, I'd have looked like a, you know, fr- fruiting sour. Baron aging genius but i'm just regurgitating (laughs) the facts (laughs) we've done we've done a
1: couple that were just based off of like uh you know like this like you know a german chocolate cake with uh with raspberries you know um or like i had this this soda that was raspberries and ginger and i was like that's that would work so well in a beer you know so you just kind of take the inspiration from most most of the time, from not beer, from other sources.
0: Mm. See, I've I've had a few brewers say that when I've talked about sour beers on this podcast. Um, yeah, literally, an, anywhere but beer, go flavor hunting, and then you you come up with something. What's What's the most weird beer you've done then, in terms of like, uh, particularly with fruits, but just in general. But like, but, but we'll look at ones with fruits first. Um, so we did we did this one.
1: It was like a dark sour. Uh, it was called Train to Nowhere and it had uh cherries and then tonka beans which right. is kind of a weird one um it was hard to find information on tonka beans cuz i guess they're like banned in the states right uh, and a lot of the literature on on brewing comes out of the states so it was hard to find stuff but honestly i was looking for vanilla and vanilla had hit a huge price peak and i was like wow i can't afford to spend like 1600 bucks on a kilo of vanilla so these tonka beans are only 75 bucks for a kilo. Sure. Let's give them a try. Let's see how these go. And it it was like it was like amaretto, like that like kind of almond maraschino cherry thing, but also mixed
0: with like vanilla and nutmeg. Mm. And they, they turned out really nice. See, I had no idea that um tonka beans were banned in the States. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know what they are. I was drinking um, I think it was Lervig, um, their three bean stout got tonka beans in it. And uh, my wife said to me, oh, what's, what's Tonka bean? I was like, I don't know. Tastes good though. <laughs> yeah, it tastes great. So, I mean, can you, can you, can you are you able to enlighten us what Tonka bean is? Or are you, are you still sort of, just, you know, searching the dark web to find out?
1: Well, so like, like it is, it is a bean. Like it, <laughs> yeah. it comes like a, maybe about as long as like your pinky finger. And we took them and we roughly crushed them up. I think I might've even just used a hammer or like rolled a keg over them. Hmm. And then uh, made, like threw that into boiling water, but turned the boil off and just kind of steeped them to make a tea and then dumped the tea into the fermenter.
0: Right. I
1: can't can't remember the dosing rate. It was something like 500 grams for a thousand liters. And it like really came through. Yep. So pretty unique flavor. And I I really enjoyed it. And I'll probably try that again.
0: Yeah. Was that that the most far out of you? Are we doing anything like even more kind of wild out there
1: like i've i've done some like fruit versions of like do you you know what pog juice is like passion fruit orange guava nope that's pretty popular in like hawaii um just like a classic combo there and we were in this competition that was like do, do your best uh fruited beer and then all these breweries brought their fruited beer and then everyone in the restaurant voted on it or whatever and i was like i'm gonna crush this by doing this combination (laughs) of fruits because it's just like a super classic tropical thing like it's not out there but it's it's just really good i I did some weird stuff for some cask festivals like we did like a durian beer
0: that was terrible yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) so um you you said in uh, your, your email um that you've got a cool ship and you've started with some yeah. spontaneous fermentation. I mean, obviously, you're going to be the next Canton. so um, we, 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 we've got expect great things out of uh, Block Three in months and years to come. But um, c- can you talk about that, and then talk about your cider journey after that as well? I'm, I'm really getting into cider, and sure, just... yeah, yeah. Um,
1: so yeah, the the cool ship kind of just came about as like a it kind of came on a whim. To be honest, we were like, how much would it cost to make this? And then we contacted a local welder and he he owns a brewery too. So he kind of got what we were doing and he was like, oh yeah, I can, I can build that. No problem. And I did a whole bunch of research on like the surface area to volume ratios and like how long it would take to cool and, you know, way more physics than I ever learned in school. And then we kind of changed it so we could fit it into our delivery van. So we could, we could move it places. Um, And then yeah, did our first batch like three years ago uh they're you know we just we literally just roll it outside onto our like loading dock, put a tent over it if it's snowing or whatever Yeah. but uh the the results have been i'm gonna say good to mixed good some to- of them yeah <laughs> some of them are are one hundred percent getting dumped like they are they are awful, and then other ones are like really, really good, and I'm gonna bottle this as a single barrel right um, so-, so like I don't know why it does that uh, yet. It's probably something to do with the, you know, the hopping rates and things like that, and and what the barrel was previously used for. Like we steamed them, but is that enough? I'm not sure. But we're still in like kind of the data collecting phase, and right. we're literally just labeling our first one today. Wow. Okay. Um, well, I wasn't. Someone else was.
0: Yeah. So the the oak barrel basically can add. I mean, obviously, I'm aware that oak barrels add and contribute flavor massively. So I presume it's it was the same word that you'd left out in the cool ship. But um, because you said about you know you got this obviously really good one that you bottle bottling, but some of the really bad ones would would you put that down more to kind of the way it intermingled with the, the oak and the wood, or are we talking about different worts here? That I've...
1: uh, so it's it's the same base wort, right? Okay, yeah. Um, we we kind of follow the the cantillon like the lambic style, where it's like two thirds uh you know like a base malt or a pilsner malt, and then one third raw wheat and we'll do a turban mash. So you start low, you start at like 45, get the grain wet, bring it up to 52, you know, pull off a bunch of wort that's not converted and boil it to keep all the starch in there. And yep. then that, you know, ends up getting re added back and that feeds the bacteria and the wild yeast for the next you know year, year, two mm. years, whatever. So th- it's all the same base. Um, I've played with the hopping rates. But I, I'm going to attribute it to the wood and I'm going to attribute it to the time of the year because um, we can only really do spring and fall. It gets just, it's too hot in the summer. You're probably just going to get mold and it's too cold in the winter for anything. So that would just kind of be a waste of work at that yeah. point.
0: Yeah. It's interesting what you say about um, sticking it on the back of a truck. Um, there's a brewery in the UK called London Beer Factory um that have got a really good uh, barrel aged and mixed firm program and they um basically got a cool ship and then they stuck it on back of a truck and they they drive they drive around elsewhere in the uk basically and you know have a bit of a kind of camp out and leave this thing open overnight and then drive back to the brewery and then take it from there but that some of their mixed firm beers are absolutely phenomenal hmm. Yeah, and talk, talk to me about your photo as well. Uh I know we are going to talk about cider. I'm interested in asking some questions about that. But um how much of a difference is there in working with something like that as opposed to working with um wooden casks and barrels? So
1: I, I'll give a, a brief I don't know, disclaimer in that all of the oak stuff and all the sour stuff, like that might be under 10% of our overall volume per year, but it right. represents an awful lot of my, you know, mental energy. And <laughs> yep. it, and it's a lot of work. Like it's a, it's a much slower process than just make an IPA, put it in cans. Yep. Um, so while, while it is, it's not a huge thing. I, I talk about it a lot, but it's not a huge thing. But, uh, the, the fooder, we, we, again, kind of just bought on a whim thinking like this would be fun and we'll do like one or two beers a year through it. But what we do now is we'll brew you know, maybe one of these base beers, like a red, a gold, whatever, and put those into the the fooder, let it do its primary ferment, and then rack that into generally four barrels. Like the fooder is 10 hex, 900 liters is four wine barrels. So it fills those four barrels. And that's more just about moving the liquids around to give them space to age. Just to keep kind of the pipeline going, right? So if I'm getting in fresh barrels, I might... Through something that I, I know is only going to take like three months worth of aging because, again, it's going to take that, that wine character on really quick. Yeah. So we're kind, of, we're kind of playing to the barrels and just using the fooder as like a, a main primary fermenter where they all get inoculated with the same mix culture. And that, that's one that I, I bought.
0: Like I bought it off Escarpment
1: of Labs, which is a, a yeast lab just very close to
0: me. It's interesting that you say about 10% of your volume is basically the Barrel age stuff. The mm. rest of it's just you know, you standard beers. Because um, I, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find any brewery out there, um, or many breweries at least, that are mostly you know make their income just from doing sour beers. Um, I mean, it, it's a real passion project, isn't it, for um, for brewers? Basically, having having a um, a barrel aging thing. I mean, it's, I I find it fascinating reading it. I mean, I. I, I I'd love to do more of that. So, yeah, I mean, talk talk to me about cider um, because that sounds really interesting. Right. So that is,
1: um, it's a different license. So I'll I'll say we're not licensed to make the cider yet. But it's something we're considering for a couple of reasons. Um, One is that we sold a lot of cider at our beer garden last year. Mm. So instead of buying it, we might as well start making it. We have all the equipment. We have the canning line. We have all that stuff. So that was one major consideration, but the other one was one of our brewers. Uh, he grew up as a farmer; his family are farmers. Uh, he's still got a uncle that has an orchard, and we were like, "This would be a nice little tie-in." You know, we got the liquor license; he's got the apples. Let's work together. Let's make this brand. Um, and then, yeah, it's just you know we're in a in a nice growing region of Canada. It's pretty easy to grow apple trees here, mm-hmm. and if we can tie it in with the the local stuff we might as well do that. And then it also happens to save us a bunch of money in the long run. So yeah. it just works. So we're still in very early phases. Like we're, we're still not decided on a yeast we're going to use for it. An apple combination, anything like that. We're just kind of trying different combinations and seeing what we like. But there's some, there's some excellent cider makers uh, around here. Revel cider. I, I, I'm sure they export to the UK, but their, their stuff is very fantastic. Very like all spontaneously fermented, um more wine like than anything yeah it's crazy
0: yeah do you think that um you know obviously being a brewer and stuff and, and being into mixed firm and Baron Asian stuff do, do, do you think that side is kind of like the next frontier for brewers because i was in a um the, this podcast was up for a uh, was shortlisted for a, an award with the British Guild of Beer Writers just before Christmas. I, I didn't win, unfortunately. Um, Fancy, but see yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, it's, I was shortlisted and I got showered in free beer from lots of breweries, which was great. Um, but I, after the event, um, obviously it was all on Zoom because no one's doing anything in person. Um, you know, we had a bit of a hangout. And it was so interesting because like, you know, the conversation was ticking over and stuff. And then someone mentioned Cider, and all of a sudden all these beer writers became alive talking about it very much in the same way that I probably did back you know, um in the twenty 20- tens, whatever you call that era, last decade. Um, you know, when when you get me talking about beer and brewing and all of a sudden I'd kind of like explode into excitement because, it, ooh, this this new thing. Whereas it, I, I, in some ways I wonder because brewing's become, for a lot of people who got into it through home brewing, which is probably most of us, um, it, it's become kind of like, you know, your, your day job. You go in and you do it. And yeah, we, we enjoy doing it, but it's like, you know it's your job, isn't it? Whereas like cider kind of feels like the new fun thing. I mean, can you relate to that? And what, why do you, do you think that um, people are starting to sort of move more towards cider? And do you think we're going to see like a, I hate, the, I don't want to say craft cider. I hope it doesn't become like craft cider with all the funky colored cans and stuff. But do you, th- do you think that it's going to become more prevalent? Uh, people drink it more?
1: Yeah, I mean, I got a couple thoughts on this. Uh, I think that it, it presents a new challenge. You know, a while ago, no one was making craft lagers. Uh, and then everyone kind of saw that as a challenge. Like, how do I make this nice, clean, easy drinking beer? And now every brewery's got a lager, right? Everyone started yep. talking about their different techniques. The whole crispy boy thing, like, that's a big deal. Like, it it just it presented a new challenge and everyone jumped at it. And now we've all kind of got that. So we're looking for something else. So maybe that leads into, especially with the the prevalence of mixed firm beer into, into cider and these kind of more acidic beverages and dry things and gluten free and things like that. There's a lot of kind of factors coming together all at the same time mm. that would lead to people wanting to expand. And then also if someone's coming into your brewery, this was another thing for us we can't have uh wine. We can't have any wine. We can't have any spirits. We can only sell the beer that we make. So if someone's going to come in and they're like, Oh, I don't drink beer. Well, I'd rather give you something you do drink and, and take your money. Yep. Right? Like it just, as, as a business decision, it kind of makes sense. So uh, like that is probably a factor for a lot of people. They, if they're going to leave here and go across the street because this guy's best friend doesn't drink cider or doesn't drink beer then we're going to go across the street to the pub that has it right
0: yeah i mean if you personally have you brewed cider before Have you made it or is this a learning curve for you
1: (laughs) (laughs) this is a big learning curve for me yeah yeah i've done you know i've done some research i went to brewing school i understand the science of fermentation but you know there's there's some things in there that i'm just like (laughs)
0: well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've looked into it and um yeah, I floated the idea with my wife about getting like a cider press. It's just kind of like, no. <laughs> you you know, just concentrate on beer. But yeah, you know, we're, we're lucky to be around like places
1: that have presses like you can just rent time on their press. All oh, right, okay. I'm not going I'm not going to be crushing my own apples. That is that's a logistical problem I can just solve with a couple of emails, you know,
0: yeah, I suppose, yeah, see i'm I'm tempted, so my my wife's mum uh, lives in like a picturesque English village that's got loads of trees that with um, these apples that are really good, like you know they, they just taste well I, I have no authority on this because so i I don't know, but they they taste like the kind of apple that I would imagine would make a good cider apple, and so I keep thinking, oh you could, I could just like I could take a malt bag down with me and pick a load you know sort of harvest time and then crush them and make my own cider and and you know it, yeah it's it's that it, i guess it's that that fun element of it um but you know the, the more you kind of get off on that and you think oh, i could make a business of this and then it you know le- leads you down all kinds of crazy avenues and then who knows what we'll be fermenting or making in a few years time when you know there's been a cider boom and all of a sudden it's like oh I don't. Want, I'm gonna to make tobacco or something. I don't know. Whatever. Sure. <laughs> sure yeah. 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 Make cigars, <laughs> craft cigars. Yeah. Me and me and my
1: wife joke because uh, she she bought me my first home brewing kit, and I you know took to the hobby obviously and made it my life career. And then uh, one year for Christmas, she bought me a humidor,
0: and I was like, oh, imagine if you had bought me this before the uh, the homebrewing. <laughs> <Yeah>. kit. <laughs> I mean, so where do you see the beer industry heading over the next? Few years, particularly with like COVID and stuff, you know, g- gazing into your crystal ball. Um, I mean, wh- how, how do you see things panning out, particularly for like tap rooms and bars? Do you think this is something that, um, at least for the next few winters, we're going to have to uh, have like an annual lockdown, um, while people are vaccinated and and everything? And wh- what do you think is going to happen?
1: Yeah, I think the, um, like the home delivery of beer thing that's not going to go away like that's yeah. that's the new frontier right if you don't have that system figured out already you should definitely figure it out because people are going to get accustomed to it they're going to be like why can't i get my beer friday night if i ordered it friday morning like that's just that's just the nature of it right mm. uh, the i hope the taproom culture comes back cuz that's one of the things that i really enjoyed yep as you know seeing seeing people come off work and come in and have a pint or two and just kind of chat and like we're, our place is we're in a pretty small town outside of a much larger city so we're like a community center so people meet up there they walk their dogs like i i love that portion of it and seeing people drinking the stuff that we make so i hope that comes back i don't the thing i'm concerned about is like how this changes like the festival circuit i'm not like in love with beer festivals but the thought of going to a beer festival right now and like you know, dumping, everyone's touching everyone's cups and like dumping them in spit buckets and you're all using the same bathrooms
0: and stuff that maybe it's just been so long in COVID lockdown that it, that weirds me out a little bit. No, I, I I totally understand that. I was having that exact conversation with someone recently and I was like, I'm not sure I want to travel to London, you know, and and go to a beer festival. But, you know, I'm itching to get back to the pub or to uh, my local brewery's tap room um, because it feels safer. It's kind of like, you know, where... Uh, metaphorically speaking the exits are you know sure. it's like if it's going to yeah. go if it's going to go bad um, you know you know how to get out whereas like you know tra- travelling on a, a train or a coach or whatever you know to another city and then like say mingling yeah. with all those people you know it's I, I feel like um, the COVID pandemic um, has you know, at least for westerners who aren't used to this, these kind of like you know, endemics and stuff, and pandemics. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel like it's it's psychologically kind of unhinged everyone <laughs> a bit in terms mm. of um, personal hygiene and and you know being quote unquote safe, whatever whatever that means. You know, yeah, it's 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 very odd, and it
1: made us very aware of how how things are in the tap room and how our tap room set up, and even like how the flow is, like how people move through spaces and how close they get to each other and things like that. And just maybe we can improve that experience and learn something from this. If we're allowed to open again, never. I also, I think it changed a lot of breweries kind of business plans where they're like, we'll be the neighborhood tap room. We will sell pints. Maybe I can fill you up a growler from the tap to go. And that's it. And then now they all had to pivot to like, Oh wait, how does, how does packaging work? I'm, you know, you get these places that are started by home brewers not to say that all homebrewers don't know what they're doing, but like they've never packaged a thousand beers in a day, you know? Mm. So they they quickly had to pivot to learn how packaging technology works. You know, you can't just fill stuff off the tap. And I mean, some people still do. They fill up crowlers off the tap and and seam them. And if that's the best you got, man, like keep going. I hope I hope you survive this. Honestly, but you, I've I've seen several breweries buy little one person canning lines, which are super cool. Like they might be expensive, but you like that technology is, is becoming more and more affordable now. And, you know, you got one operator standing there feeding cans in and taking full cans off. That's pretty cool. That didn't exist five years ago. That didn't exist three years ago.
0: Yeah. I mean, the whole, the whole canning thing, um, you know, to think that there are affordable, I say affordable, you know, affordable in a kind of uh, a business sense, uh, affordable canning lines. It's, it's pretty amazing, really, people, that people are canning their own beer. I mean, it's I've I've started again on a one-barrel kit. I've moved into canning, and it, again, it's a, it's a pretty rudimentary setup, um, but it's made me appreciate packaging beer and oxygen levels and all the rest of it. Um, yeah. You know, well, keep keeping oxygen out, I should say, like you know, yeah. dissolved oxygen um, on a whole other level. Um, and and it's, in some ways you know when you got the privilege because i worked in a cask producing brewery and we did bottle conditioned beer um and and those and and that was all done by hand you know and and that was pretty labor intensive but most of it went into cask and filling a cask is like the easiest thing ever you know and the turnaround's so fast that you just kind of like you fill the cask it's gone within a few days. Once it's opened, it's drunk within a few days, and the cask returns. You don't really have to worry too much about the, the, any kind of long shelf life. Whereas, you know, now I'm, I'm so paranoid that even if, even on a one-barrel scale, if I send a beer to somebody and they've, you know, they've got a good collection of beer in their cellar, they might they might not drink it for months. And then if mm. they open it, even even on such a small scale, and it's if say it's oxidized or something. You know, it's the power of social media. If I got on the wrong side of somebody and they were like, this is crap, and all the rest of it, you know, it, 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 on my scale, yeah, it, the best it would do is ruin my day. But like on a for a brewery, even of your size, which in the grand scheme of things isn't massive, you know, it can have mm. some, you know, actual damage on your business.
1: Yeah, yeah, it could happen. We, uh, we, we bought a canning line at the beginning of COVID. And then it like immediately bought a DO meter. Yep. Which is, which is a very expensive way of showing you that you've been doing your job right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's uh it's good. And there, the, we have caught things like we've learned a lot, you know, you're, you're filling this can and it's super, the beer's super cold and you're, you're just rocking and rolling. And it's like, no, it actually needs to be like a little bit over zero. So it does foam up a bit. So you do get a good foam cap and like, we've learned these things and we've brought our DO levels down. Um, but that is like, you will chase, you'll chase a dragon on that, man. Like that's a lot of my energy is thinking about how to reduce this and how do we fix that? Because like you said, it might go out to someone. Again, Canada is a huge, huge country. It might go out to someone 4,000 kilometers away from here and they're opening it six months later and they're like, why is this IPA look brown? It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> Months ago, man, what are you doing?
0: Yeah, cool. Well, it's, it's been great having you on uh, the podcast. And um, whenever I talk to a guest from abroad, I'm always really good at that. I can't go visit the tap room and stuff. So, f- for anyone listening um, who is local um, to you, like, h- how can they get hold of your beer? So, if you're in Ontario, um, you already know how the LCBO
1: works. You can head up our <laughs> website, block3brewing.ca. You can go to our Instagram. I think our Instagram and Twitter are the same, just at Block3. Uh, if you want to check mine out, it's at You know, I'm happy to answer questions and talk to people and connect with beer fans around
0: the world. Cool. And Craig from CraigTube, if you're listening to this, cheers. Cheers. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at HotForwardBeers. and for another week. Cheers!